0: on this week's episode of third and manageable training camps have opened up and the injury bug has already struck but first we take you around the league with updates to tyreek hill melvin gordon and darius slay then to close out the show we go head to head in a debate of which afc west quarterbacks are under the most pressure stay tuned
1: and welcome back to another episode of third and manageable i am shem hanks
0: And I am Brad Roberts. And we just can't believe it ourselves. Absolutely not. No, no, no. Today is a very special day. I mean, it's the start of the weekend.
1: Well, that makes it very, very special.
0: But we are less than two weeks away from the first game of the season, or the first fake game of the season. Right, yeah, where
1: the first teamers, a lot of the second team guys sit out, but man, those third and fourth string guys.
0: Well, I mean, we we really only watch the Hall of Fame game for the speeches, right?
1: well and especially this year where there's a number of broncos making their way into the hall of fame
0: very important indeed including
1: one of my favorite broncos champ bailey and then the denver broncos are facing the atlanta falcons in the hall of fame game
0: absolutely and uh uh, the the other Bronco that we're discussing is going to be uh, the late Pat Bolin that is being inducted into the Hall of Fame. So it is a Broncos season all around for remembrance, and hopefully this upcoming season will be as memorable.
1: One can only hope.
0: Well, uh, to start things off, we are going to be going around the league with some updates. Uh, there's been a lot of talk going on since last time we spoke. And uh, the first off is the surprising news that came out this morning, which uh, I was completely shocked. Um, the league has been, as of the last several years, been extremely heavy-handed when it comes to uh, disciplinary action for personal conduct or 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 failed drug tests. But I was shocked, to say the very least, to find out that Tyreek Hill for the Kansas City Chiefs is facing zero suspension time he will be ready for week one
1: which as you were saying is kind of mind-blowing that he got no suspension from the league so you and I are both in a dynasty fantasy football league together I am a person who has Tyreek Hill on my team so how I found out about this news was waking up to a trade offer for Tyreek Hill. And then that's what got my mind a buzz that maybe something came down about this whole suspension deal. And so I had thought that it was going to be an eight game suspension. If you would have asked me two months ago, I would have thought we were talking about a 12 to 16 game suspension.
0: Well, very similar to the, the actions that, Adrian Peterson received, uh, what was it four or five years ago? Um, that's what I was expecting, but maybe to a lesser extent, like I really thought it was going to be between that four and eight range. Um, if you would have asked me yesterday, what the chances were that he was going to get a zero game suspension, I would have said a 0% chance. Um, but as it turns out, the, the league went a completely different direction. And when I say shocked, I'm not saying that in the sense of, you know, uh, a prejudgment. I'm just saying that uh, we've all seen how so many individuals have gotten very lengthy suspensions. I mean, this is the kind of league where Justin Blackman is no longer allowed to play and he's just failed drug tests. You know, uh, uh, Josh Gordon is indefinitely suspended and he is another one that has never injured. It, there's never been a problem. Uh, it's just been with failed drug tests, whether it's marijuana, whether it's alcohol, um, just that personal conduct policy that is so, so inclusive. So such a, a thick gloss over that. Um, so to say that there's zero games, uh, I'm, In a way, happy for Tyreek Hill. I mean, this is uh, a very good news for him to to see that not only is the legal ramifications going to be zero, as it seems like the the prosecution and the uh, the district attorney has dropped the case for the second time, but also the league is following suit. And I was very shocked, to say the least.
1: And Tyreek Hill was very good with this process in being very honest with the Kansas City Chiefs organization, as well as very compliant with the league itself. He had about an eight, eight and a half hour long interview with league investigators, as opposed to Kareem Hunt, who really struggled with being truthful with the Kansas City Chiefs, with the league, and that's what uh, individuals are crediting kansas city with cutting hunt for was he was not very truthful but hill is or at least has been very truthful and hey he came out with no legal ramifications up to this point and no ramifications from the league
0: Yep. Uh, So that wraps us up on uh, the Tyreek Hill uh, conversation. I mean, uh, it's looking actually very good for Kansas City as a whole now to have him back. I mean, it it seemed as though they were uh, moving towards a life without him when they drafted Mecole Hardman. And you and I were here
1: when Mecole Hardman got drafted. And it looked like the end of Tyreek Hill.
0: Yep. Yep, it, it was looking very bleak, but things have turned around, and now it looks as though Mecole Hardman is now uh, just a negotiating chip whenever oh. Tyreek Hill comes up for uh, a contract extension. So Which
1: negotiations are supposed to start anytime this year, so we will see. So that brings us to Melvin Gordon.
0: Yes, when we're talking contract disputes, we should be discussing holdouts right now. yep. Tis the season. Yes, it is. Uh, Players want more money. And it seems as though Melvin Gordon is going the uh, potentially Le'Veon Bell route. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do you think on that, Shem? And so
1: I have a friend who is a Chargers fan. And when this news came out, he and I were together. And he yells out, well, thanks a lot, Le'Veon Bell which this is clearly what this is about, is Le'Veon Bell didn't believe that as a running back, he was getting paid enough money. So then he held out for a contract that he never got, even after he signed with the Jets, and lost money based on the holdout versus accepting that franchise tag. And so... Melvin Gordon is following suit, seeing himself as an elite running back, which I will be the first to say Melvin Gordon is a very, very good running back. Is he an elite, top three, top five running back in the NFL right now? I would say no. He's one of the best red zone options in terms of running it in. I think he's had multiple seasons now of 12 touchdowns. And so he's a big, big threat once you get into the red zone. But is he worth a team completely sacrificing their future financial flexibility when individuals like Mike Williams, like Bosa are coming up? I don't really think so. I don't believe that Melvin Gordon's going to get anywhere close to the contract that he is hoping for.
0: Uh, you know, it's, it's very tough to say, um, in, in reverberating what you were talking about with, um, Le'Veon Bell that he didn't get the right kind of money. Um, it's, it's really tough to say because then we're playing the what if game, um, because we saw a player last year who did take a long time to sign in Des Bryant Mm. and he got injured in his first But not even his first game, his first practice. Mm -hmm. So uh, now you're looking at somebody who's trying to recover from a major injury, and he's going to get nowhere close to the kind of money that he was wanting to make. Um, Because remember, Des Bryant actually turned down a multiple-year offer with the Baltimore Ravens before signing a one-year deal with the New Orleans Saints and then tore his Achilles. I mean, Le'Veon Bell could have been in the same scenario of he signs that franchise tag for the one year, blows out his knee, tears his shoulder, injures his back, breaks a leg, and now he gets none of that money that he's gotten with the New York Jets. So Melvin Gordon, uh, looking at his contract here, his base salary for this year is $5.6 million. Uh, He's in the last year of his contract— He's still on his rookie deal, and it seems like he doesn't want to play this last year unless he gets that contract extension. He seems fine with wanting to stay in Los Angeles. However, it's that last year, of the contract, and running backs are so uh, volatile in the sense of a potential injury. So, I mean, do you see the Los Angeles Chargers making that Uh, that gamble as you say to basically commit so much money to a running back i mean this is a guy who's not even on his second contract like i said he's on his rookie deal from being a first round draft pick this is the fifth year option that they picked up uh does melvin gordon stay in los angeles and does he play this season i mean do they get a deal done before week one
1: My first instinct is to say no, they don't get a deal done because I just don't think that they'll find that middle ground that the Chargers team currently as constructed can afford going forward. And we were talking before the show about an individual, Todd Gurley, gets a massive, massive deal. All right. Gets hurt. CJ Anderson comes in. And plays really, really well in that system. Now, that is a huge problem because it's the same thing that happened with Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell doesn't play for the season. James Conner comes in, plays really, really good. And then James Conner gets hurt. Jalen Samuels comes in. And he plays really, really well as well. And in the NFL, running backs who can play behind certain schemes, certain offensive lines, look almost like that dime a dozen, where we talk a lot about Mike Shanahan, where Shanahan was pumping out 1,000-yard rushers, and he was trading them. He yeah. was getting one for one or two years, uh, get him up to a 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, flip them. Flip them for another asset. Never spend a lot of money on your running back position. And that's held true in the NFL, where very successful teams don't have high-paid running backs.
0: Yeah, I was just about to go there with the Mike Shanahan rule that running back is, as I said, a very volatile position. I mean, you could be on your way to leading the league in rushing, and then somebody hits you just low enough, and now you're on your second string running back because you're, you're getting carted off the field. So that's why you saw a coach like him get a Landis Gary one year, thousand yard rusher gone next year, Ruben drones now thousand yard rusher. Oh, then you're gone to Cleveland. Then Clinton Portis thousand yard rusher. Oh no, I'm going to trade you to Washington and get champ Bailey in return. How about Mike Anderson after that? And then Tatum bell and Mike, Bell. it just keeps on yep. going and going and going. So There are some teams that are entirely scheme built. I mean, we've also mentioned this uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have a system with wide receivers. They've never been fully committed to a single guy. They've been fine with letting Antonio Brown go, Emmanuel Sanders go, Santonio Holmes, Plexico Burris, Mike Wallace, Mike Wallace, Antoine Randall L. Like it doesn't really matter. The scheme is what is most important. And as long as you have an offensive line, you can churn out a running back. As long as you have a great quarterback, you can make great receivers. It doesn't necessarily matter in these high dollar skill positions and that there's a lot of teams that would prefer to commit that money to a high-caliber safety, to a high-caliber pass rusher, to a the best-in-the-league left tackle. There's other places you can spend this money, and it seems like the Chargers are already strapped. I don't know where they come up with this money unless they churn out so much money in a, in a signing bonus to keep Melvin Gordon for this year to appease him, to make sure he's on the field. And then they offload that money towards the end of his contract. Uh, it, it, it's going to be very interesting how they try to finagle this, this deal, but he seems very committed to sticking with this holdout. And, uh, uh, as a Broncos fan, I'm just licking my lips because I would much rather go against Justin Jackson as the starting running back as opposed to Melvin Gordon, who, I mean, he's been a top five running back for the last four years. Mm. That's fact. Uh, in terms of all-purpose yards, rushing yards, touchdowns, he has been a beast. And I'm perfectly fine with him sitting out and staying on the couch. Um uh and another
1: aspect to it, like you were just saying, you have massive contract, uh, have the money be on the back end of that contract. Bosa's going to want some money soon. Yep. Darwin
0: James is going to want some money soon. Oh, oh, he's going to be a huge one. If they're going to yeah. try to keep him as long as they kept Eric Weddle, no. uh, they're going to have to spend a lot of money on him because the price for safety Um, I mean, Earl Thomas in, what is this, his third contract with the league? I mean, and he gets 55 million for four years. Oh my goodness. In by the time Derwin James is up for a contract extension, that number is going to be in the 70 millions. Yeah. And not to mention, uh,
1: (laughs) Mata Wait, no, no. Um, (laughs) all right. So. Talk to me about big play Darius Slay, one of my favorite players for no other reason than he has a great nickname.
0: Well, uh, the Detroit Lions are actually in uh, a pretty serious pickle here. Um, They not only have Darius Slay, but also Damon Harrison, who they acquired in a trade with the New York Giants. Both of these players are... They haven't officially begun their holdouts yet because the Detroit Lions, the veterans, haven't reported to training camp yet. But both of these players have voiced their opinions that they are leaning towards a holdout just like Melvin Gordon because they want contract extensions and, of course, more money. I think Darius Slay has a bigger bargaining chip in this, um, but uh, Damon Harrison is also very much upset about this. I mean, it didn't seem like he was very uh, conducive to the idea of being traded. Uh, He seemed happy in New York, um, but you know, sorry, but it's not my fault that you, you, you get to go to Detroit now and and play for a bad team. Um, And not only that, but now he's on a defensive line where they just spend a ton of money on Trey Flowers. So, Uh, With so much money committed already to that defense with the free agent acquisitions that they've made, I don't know where they come up with the money, but I'm very certain that Darius Slay gets paid before Damon Harrison, and uh, I mean, they're in a position where two of their 11 defensive starters are starting the season on the couch. Yeah,
1: and I would agree with that, that big play Slay is going to get his contract before Snacks Harrison.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And for that team, they have to ask themselves the question, are they trying to be contenders this year? Are they trying to make the playoffs this year? Or are they building for the future? If they're building for the future, they should consider those trade options for those players. However, as you said, they just spent a ton of money on Trey Flowers. They're spending a ton of money on Matt Stafford. They're trying to win games. So if you're trying to win games, find the money, pay big play slay.
0: Well, and they're really, if they were in a different division, I mean, they would be a lot closer in the conversation of being um, at least playoff or division contenders. But both of us have said on this podcast that we think the Detroit lions are going to be the fourth best team in a four team division. So, it seems as though they're all in in this trying to win now. I mean, they have a quarterback who is not going to be young forever. They have a young running back that they drafted last year um, who actually looked very good in On Johnson um, out of Auburn. But I, I disagree that they should have spent so much money on Trey Flowers. But, you know, Matt Patricia wanted his guy from New England, and he got him. Um, it's just... This is a problem that, uh, I don't know, I I think they might be best served in a position where they pay Darius Slay and maybe actually move on from Damon Harrison. I know he hasn't even played it down for Detroit, but if he's already grumbling about making a contract extension, I mean, you can't pay everybody what they want. That's just a fact. Um, If you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about because that legion of boom dissolved so quickly as soon as everybody started reaching out for more money, whether it was Cliff Averill, whether it was Michael Bennett, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, multiple times, Richard Sherman. I mean, you cannot pay everybody what they think they're worth. So they may be best served, in my opinion, to pay your top flight cornerback, but Maybe you trade Damon Harrison. Maybe. All right. So we kind of
1: skipped right over it where we talked about training camp, but there's already been an injury that's happened in training camp.
0: Oh, yes. Well.
1: And so the Denver Broncos reported for camp a couple days ago. Today is Friday when we are recording this and they are in their second day of training camp, and one of the Denver Broncos starters has been injured. Todd Davis has a calf injury that is currently being projected as a four-week recovery time. I would imagine that goes a little bit longer. Those calf injuries are kind of pesky, but you have talked about Middle linebacker is already being a huge issue for the Denver Broncos. And here is their projected number one middle linebacker getting hurt on the first day of training camp. As you have said before, you want a mean son of a bitch to be the guy <laughs> in Denver. Is there someone on this roster that can step up and be that mean middle linebacker? leader of the defense or did the Broncos really miss out on not drafting Devin Bush?
0: Uh, Well, I, I'm trusting Vic Fangio. Um, That's, that's a little bit, a lot to unpack in what you just said there. Um, uh, It seems as though, let's just take it slowly. Um, Todd Davis injured. Both of us think that this calf, Muscle tear is going to be I mean, it's not a sprain. This is a tear of your calf a partial muscle. tear. Yeah. yeah, it's off the bone um, I'm expecting this to be a little bit longer than four weeks I mean, it's two weeks until the first game under two weeks. I think they take him back very slowly this isn't a guy He's a veteran. He doesn't need to play any preseason games. I think they'll try to just project him to be starter week one. Maybe they bring him in in the fourth week, uh, like the mm. uh, the fourth preseason game. You know, he gets a, a couple of drives to, you know, get your tempo up. But as a replacement, uh, the first person getting cracks with the first team is Alexander Johnson, who they picked up last year as an undrafted free agent. Um. So, I'm expecting that that guy to step up is going to be Josie Jewell. Uh, Jewell wasn't a full-time starter last year. He got a couple of spot starts here and there. Um, But he didn't get on the field as often as I would have liked behind Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis. Well, Brandon Marshall's gone. Todd Davis is hurt. It's the next man up scenario. Um, But back to your point of what you said... Uh, I do want a very mean guy. I want a, a Brian Erlacher, Patrick Willis, Ray Lewis kind of man at that middle spot. I'm not sure it is Josie Jewell. Uh, you know how I uh, really praise anybody coming out of Iowa. But, Iowa! <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure that he's the guy. However... Um, As what you said, that Denver should have taken um, Devin Bush, or maybe we should consider that they should have. Um, When I said that I trust Vic Fangio, he said after the draft that they didn't need to draft a middle linebacker because he projected that they could get somebody as an undrafted free agent. They saw that there were a lot of guys that fit into their scheme who could come in and play very meaningful downs, if not be the successors that they could work with. So I'm hoping that whether it's Alexander Johnson, Josie Jewell, or the player that you uh, reminded me of earlier, was it a, uh, remind me his name, Joe Denian or?
1: Let me talk to you about my love of Joe Danine for Joe? a while.
0: Joe Denine,
1: Out of the University of Kansas, out of Lawrence, Kansas. Okay. He is the uh, number one player last year for solo tackles
0: in all of Division I football. So that's my point. I think that's the guy that Vic Fangio was talking about, mm. that they saw somebody that they didn't have to spend a first-round draft pick to get, and this can be a player who maybe even eventually usurps Todd Davis as that middle linebacker starting guy, or at least pushes Josie jewel and Alexander Johnson for time on the field. Uh, Justin
1: Hollins. I also saw was playing some middle linebacker over the last day, day and a half. And he was a fifth round draft pick out of Oregon, a guy who was originally supposed to be, that Shane Ray, um, Shaq Barrett replacement on the outside, but he's a really good athlete, so they've been playing him at middle linebacker as well. Uh, but my vision is of a middle linebacking core of Josie Jewell and Joe Denine that they just grab hold of that job and just take it over, where Big Joe, who can't cover... Me, I assume in pass <laughs> coverage, but man, could he light up a uh, running back at the line of scrimmage?
0: Well, and that's what they've really been needing. I mean, uh, you don't allow 216 yards rushing to Isaiah Crowell last year and then not address the middle linebacker position. No. So Joe Denine, I don't care if he can't cover anybody. Your job isn't to get on to Travis Kelsey. Let's put a safety on that guy. You don't need to get on to Antonio Gates. You need to stop the play in the middle. You need to be covering from sideline to sidelines. All those speed backs that we have in this division all those power rushers up the middle that are going to be running people over. We need a mammoth of a fella to just sit down and say, not in my house. This is the no fly zone, but it's also the no running zone. Mm. I want a hall monitor in that middle linebacker (laughs) position. Okay. (laughs) Which I
1: hope that one of those guys really embraces that role and emerges. The Broncos have a proud history of undrafted free agents making the team, but not only making the team, becoming pro bowlers. So yeah, especially undrafted guys out of
0: Kansas.
1: (laughs) So maybe lightning will strike twice. Uh, You talked about their safeties, being able to guard uh, tight ends, where that's really the benefit of the Broncos in that Justin Simmons is a very tall, long coverage safety kareem jackson plays cornerback and safety you have bryce callahan and chris harris jr who can guard inside or outside you don't need those coverage dudes in the middle you need guys that can stop that run with your great pass rushers being able to have pressure on the outside
0: so hey i'm in your guys' corner joey and joe well and uh two things there um, as you mentioned, the versatility of the Denver players, uh, I see this defense as being basically running the nickel the entire game yeah. because they have that option of having three cornerbacks that are actually three safeties. You know, whether you're putting when it's Kareem Jackson, Bryce Callahan, and Chris Harris on the field, it, Kareem Jackson is that guy that can come up and play corner or drop back and play safety. So then you have Parks and Simmons and Jackson all playing safety when really one of them's a corner. Um, Todd Davis was always on the field in the nickel situations. Maybe it's, you know, if this calf injury turns into something, uh, maybe it's time for him to start moving on. I believe this is the last year of his contract. Um, so it's, it's kind of a sad way for players to go out. And I'm not saying he is. I'm just I'm just saying. Um, But also, uh, to a point, uh, Vic Fangio already has a history in getting people that were not expecting. Remember, it was Vic Fangio who was the mastermind of the San Francisco defense, while Patrick Willis was getting all the attention and the accolades. They had another middle linebacker that came out of nowhere that ended up having an even longer career than he did in Navarro Bowman. So this guy has a history in finding those guys in between the cracks, in the seams, and then developing a very, very good defensive captain and leader of a team. So I'm trusting Vic Fangio, like I said. I think this is going to be one of those scenarios. Um, But it's not all about negativity and people getting injured. This Denver Broncos training camp also showed some positive markers in which we were both pretty negative that this player was going to be available. And it turns out, I think he's 100%, if not trending towards 100%, in Philip Lindsay.
1: Oh, yeah. Philip Lindsay taking handoffs, busting up plays. Like, Philip Lindsay's looking good to start off uh, yep. training camp.
0: Yep. And in fact, I was reading several reports that were saying that they're expecting him to be 100% uh, if he's not already. He's going to be 100% by week one of the preseason, not the regular no. season. Like, I remember you saying that you had a, the same exact injury yeah. as Philip Lindsay in breaking that specific bone in your wrist, mm-hmm. which is very debilitating. It took you a long time to recover. Yeah. It took multiple surgeries on your hand, and it was the same scenario with Philip Lindsay. But as it seems, it, it's almost like he's ready to go. Yeah, he's
1: looking great. And so that was part of the first reports was it's a long injury to come back from. It's a hard one to come back from, which as you were saying, I've had the same break, but in my left hand, his was in his right hand and he's right handed. Uh, One of the biggest parts for me was my ability to pinch, make that pinching motion. And if you're a running back, that's catching the ball or securing the ball.
0: Yeah. Pitch plays, uh, those are going
1: to be two things that I myself personally am going to be watching quite a bit is how is he able to catch the ball now that he has some reconstructed bone, a pin in his hand, whatnot, uh, very similar to what I myself went through. So that's something that I'm looking for in Philip Lindsay. But what I liked so far in watching the videos from training camp is they're doing a lot of halfback stretch plays with Philip Lindsay. They're not running them up the middle right now.
0: Well, it's about stinking time. I mean, how many times did I have to scream that last season that why are you rushing the 185 pound running back up the middle against 330 pound defensive linemen? Why does that make sense, Vance Joseph? Oh, you're fired. Okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that checks out.
1: And with that running back room, in terms of position battles, I'm really watching Devontae Booker and some of those other undrafted guys challenge Booker for that number three job.
0: Well, I think it's about time that Booker says goodbye to Denver. Mm. Um, He's getting to that point where... uh, you've seen what he can do and though he is talented he's been effective for the broncos the past several seasons he's not going to get any better we've seen his best already but these undrafted guys they're going to be a lot cheaper they're a lot younger and we don't know what their ceiling is so it's time that we move on from D- Devonte booker in my opinion let Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay head up this backfield and bring in somebody else, Califani Muhammad, potentially. Yeah. Maybe a couple of these other undrafted rookie free agents and uh, let them really duke it out for that number three spot and for the special teams duties.
1: And before we move on from the first training camp, the best training camp, the Denver Broncos, apparently Cortland Sutton hasn't been catching the ball very well in training camp.
0: I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, he seemed uh, completely fine to me. Uh, I think the ball was slippery, perhaps. Um, his, his gloves uh, were perhaps sabotaged with Crisco. Mm. I don't know what the scenario is. Maybe it's just the fact that he's actually receiving balls from a quarterback who throws it like a man, perhaps? <laughs> I don't I don't know what that scenario is. But I think Cortland Sutton is gonna be fine. It's just a little bit of jitters between I mean, this is only a second year guy. No. He's gonna drop the ball a few times. He's not gonna be a, a beast every single day of practice. Um so just shut that down. He's gonna be a, a very good wide receiver this season.
1: And there's a lot of hype right now. Through two days about Drew Locke, where Locke was not signing his rookie deal, same with Dalton Risner, and then they both signed day before training camp to have day one of training camp. And Drew Locke looked great. He was dropping dimes, he was super mobile in the pocket. But then again, comparing mobility to Joe Flacco. You look more mobile than Joe Flacco, so. Well,
0: I'm I'm spry. I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, that's what I'm, people say about you. I'm yo.
0: bouncy. Um, so yeah, Drew Locke was looking very good. Um, it's I would say he's nowhere near looking good enough to be even in the conversation for for starting duties or first team reps. Um, but, I mean, I would much rather him look good and be the number two guy than for him to look bad and be the number two guy. Mm-hmm. So any good news is good news. Um, but uh, to to switch topics on you here, uh, it there's also even more good news in that Emmanuel Sanders and Chris Harris, both that sustained the season-ending injuries last year, Chris Harris with a broken leg, and... Uh, uh, Emmanuel Sanders with the torn Achilles. It seems that both of these guys are progressing very well. And in fact, one of the reports that I read said that Denver is not considering right now the pup list for Emanuel Sanders. I think both of us are realistically expecting him to start on the pup list, but they're taking it day to day. And so far, Emmanuel Sanders, I mean, he's already making cut movements. Um, he he's not in uh, 11 on 11 practices yet, but he's been running all of the drills. He was in on the seven on seven drills and uh, it, I'm still waiting for him to get the, the being able to be in at least partial contract drills. But uh, I mean, again, like I said, good news is still good news. Yeah.
1: And so Chris Harris, Jr. Uh, came back. He played in the pro bowl. So, He was progressing nicely through the offseason, did really well after the Broncos season ended to come back and play. Uh, But Emmanuel Sanders, that Achilles tear is a tough one to come back from. I don't care what sport you're playing. If you're tearing your Achilles, that is not good. But here he is at training camp. I saw a video of him catching passes from Joe Flacco. Keep in mind, Joe Flacco, 6'6", big dude, massive, massive arm. You can only picture the beautiful plays of those deep go routes to Emmanuel Sanders that Case Keenum really struggled to connect with.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, So personally, I'm expecting Chris Harris uh, to be available for week one. I don't think he's going to be on the pup list. I think worst case scenario, Emmanuel Sanders is on the pup list, but I think he will be available immediately following it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think he'll be ready for week one, but I think there's still the possibility that he could be available in between weeks one and week six so that he doesn't start on the pup list. Um, and for those of you who don't know that is the physically unable to perform list i'm assuming yeah. you already know this um but uh that's that's the story with uh, the denver broncos the most important training camp
1: sure and i'm going to say sanders does play in week 1
0: ooh my hot take over here over yeah. here
1: all right so let's move on to our final segment of the evening afc west quarterbacks who are under the most pressure in the upcoming season
0: yes and uh, we are discussing only starting quarterbacks obviously I'm not in the mood to be discussing backup quarterbacks that have the most pressure I don't think that's actually a thing. That's like saying. Is which... Chase Daniels still the backup in Kansas City? Or... Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if we were going to do a segment like that, then our next segment would basically be uh, which of our favorite vice president was the coolest. I mean, it, you, you, I'm not interested in someone who's a heartbeat away from being interesting. So uh, we're discussing Derek Carr with the Oakland Raiders. Joe Flacco with the Denver Broncos, Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs, and Philip Rivers with the Los Angeles Chargers. So, Chem, please go first and tell me, in rank order way, of four, three, two, then one, who is under the most pressure this season?
1: Uh, the most pressure this season. So starting out <coughs> With the least amount of pressure, I have Patrick Mahomes. And I have Patrick Mahomes, because here's a guy, he was an MVP last year. He threw 50 touchdowns last year. Great season. Everyone who has that type of season, whether it be Brady, whether it be Manning, has a regression the next year. I think everyone is expecting him to not throw 50 touchdowns, but... I think he'll be a 40-touchdown guy, 4,000-yard guy, playoff guy. He has complete security in his job for years and years to come. There's already a debate over whether or not Patrick Mahomes is going to be the first quarterback or first NFL player to hit $40 million a year uh, as a professional in football. Uh, But I do not expect Patrick Mahomes to feel any of that job pressure. I don't even know if there's necessarily the winning pressure on Patrick Mahomes right now because he's so young. Even that team as a whole is so young outside of Andy Reid. And everyone's expecting them to be a 10 plus win team and make the playoffs. Next up, I'm going to put Joe Flacco. Here's why. So Joe Flacco, he's in Denver with Drew Locke behind him. Joe Flacco is playing for one year, and if he plays really, really well, maybe he gets a second year out of the deal. But to me, it's a no-pressure situation where you go out there, you try and win, You played to the best of your ability, knowing that you're playing for that next contract. It's that underdog mentality where you're playing carefree, you're playing loose, and you're trying to make the best of a situation. And you have the roster that can make the playoffs this year. Now, my next guy is Derek Carr. Derek Carr had a season last year where there was speculation from a number of individuals about whether or not Oakland was going to replace him, whether they were going to try and get Kyler Murray, whether they were going to try to get Dwayne Haskins, whether they were going to try to make a free agent move? Does Carr fit in the Gruden scheme? Ooh, get the hiccups. Yeah, that was that was bad timing. Whether he fits in the Gruden scheme. <laughs> But Carr also is making a bunch of money. And if he is not the person in Oakland, Gruden has, what, nine more years left on that contract? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Gruden's going to be the one to make the decision whether or not Carr's going to stay. He has a ton of pressure. They brought in antonio brown they brought in williams they drafted josh jacobs in the first round it's on you Car.
0: make it work you gotta take a little drink of water there yeah that's the hiccups Uh, all right so clearly you're leaning towards uh philip rivers being the guy with the most pressure yes
1: but I see it as pressure in a different sense. Usually when you're making a list of the four quarterbacks most pressure, you're talking about job security. What I'm talking about is more important than job security. It's about your legacy. Where Philip Rivers this might be his last chance to win a Super Bowl. He as a player was in the same draft class as Eli Manning, as Ben Roethlisberger, both of whom have won multiple Super Bowls, both of whom did not have the quality of offensive players as Philip Rivers in terms of LaDainian Tomlinson and Antonio Gates. To have both of those guys and currently have no Super Bowl to show for it, is a tarnish on the Philip Rivers legacy. A lot of people already put him in this Hall of Fame group of individuals. But without that Super Bowl, how can that be certain? He's never even been to a Super Bowl game. Kurt Warner made it. He's won a Super Bowl. He's been an MVP. He's been to multiple Super Bowls. Philip Rivers has none of that to show for it, and so my argument would be: Eli seems like a super or a Hall of Fame guy. Roethlisberger seems like a Hall of Fame guy. Of course, yes. Is Philip uh, Rivers really that Hall of Fame guy? If he hasn't even been to a Super
0: Bowl, I would say yes, um, because. Uh answer me this do you consider Tony Romo a Hall of Fame guy no I would say I'm I'm a little bit skeptical as to whether Tony Romo is but I would I'm not sure if he is or not mm-hmm. I, I don't I can't answer that yes or no I think Phillip Rivers has a better claim to be a Hall of Fame quarterback as opposed to Romo but I could easily see both of them getting in honestly mm-hmm. um
1: Tony Romo as an announcer, though, because he's a Hall of Fame announcer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: Okay. All right. So uh, you have it as Patrick Mahomes, fourth place in the terms of least amount of pressure. Um, Or most amount of pressure. He's facing the least pressure of all these guys. Then Joe Flacco, because he's not having... uh, He's a rental quarterback. You know, he's a journeyman at this point for the rest of his career. There's no team that's going to really make him the... Franchise save us, um, uh, Jesus Christ. And then it's Derek Carr, who you kind of are already leaning towards that he's on his way out, you think. Um, and then uh, Philip Rivers in the sense of legacy that he needs to be uh, the guy to actually get it done. And I would include here to your point that, The Chargers, they already have buyer's remorse because Philip Rivers is only the quarterback because they decided that Drew Brees is not going to be the guy in Los Angeles. (laughs) Yeah. Remember, it was supposed to be Drew Brees and LaDainian Tomlinson with Antonio Gates for... Their careers mm. and what a division that would have sucked to be as a Broncos <laughs> fan with those three guys. How many Super Bowls would they have won? Oh, that group of goodness. three? Or how about this? How many Super Bowls would Tom Brady not have if he had oh, to face Drew yeah, Brees, yeah. Antonio Gates, and Ladanian Tomlinson for the duration of their careers? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I don't think Brady would be holding up six Lombardi trophies and using two hands to hold up his rings. Um, so I can do this actually pretty quickly. I agree All with right. you on the first two. Um, so I think Patrick Mahomes is facing the least amount of pressure. I think if anybody feels pressure in Kansas City, it's going to be Andy Reid before, long before Patrick Mahomes. Anytime you have an MVP to your resume, whether that's a regular season or Super Bowl MVP, no one is going to be questioning your credentials for a good number of years. Uh, I think Patrick Mahomes falls much closer to his average. I I mean, I don't think he's going to throw 50 touchdowns every year, but he doesn't have to. This is a guy who could drop all the way down to 28 touchdowns this year, and he's still going to be a god in Kansas City. Um, But he has a very high ceiling, obviously. At any point, you could expect him to go off for 45 touchdowns or 42 in a season. Okay, and uh, Joe Flacco, I would agree with you that he's – Um, a rental I don't see him as only a one-year guy I think potentially he is going to be around for this year and next year to really let Drew Locke get into this this mode as being a starting quarterback Um, he's he's a prospect you know nobody was predicting him to be a week one starter that's why no team took a chance on him in the first round he was a second rounder for a reason and second-rounders typically need a little bit longer to develop. I mean, it took Aaron Rodgers three years to become a starter, okay? And he was a first-round pick.
1: And he was blessed that, for some reason, David Gettleman didn't fall in love with him. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, so, um, uh, on the second quarterback feeling the most pressure in this division, uh, I got to disagree, and I say that it is Philip Rivers um, in that second slot, uh, I completely agree with you that he needs to do some work on his legacy. Uh, this is a player who had Ladanian Tomlinson and Antonio Gates. He's had Chris Chambers. He's had Vincent Jackson. He's had Keenan Allen. He's had actually very good defenses throughout his career with yeah. big-name players, um, like like uh, uh, Eric Weddle. He's had players like Joey Bosa. He's had players like Junior Seau. Yeah. You know, like this has not been a team. It's not like Phillip Rivers has been playing for Tampa Bay for his entire career or Arizona for his career or Detroit. Yeah. He's been playing with a very good team who spent a lot of money, has drafted very well overall. Um, and I think he needs to put this thing together. And if it's not now, it's never going to happen. This is probably one of the best teams that he's been on in at least a decade. And, uh, it, it, like I said, he just needs to make it this year. If he's going to do anything, I'm hoping that he flounders and, and falls on his face. Sure. Or preferably just gets sacked by Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. <laughs> um, but the quarterback feeling the most pressure in my opinion is Derek Carr. Um, we were talking before the show and uh, I've learned that Derek Carr going into next season is actually only owed $5 million in dead money for the salary cap were Oakland to move on from him. So, yes, he did sign that five-year $125 million contract uh, three years ago. This is year four of his contract. But that fifth year is very little money that is owed to him. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, uh, I think John Gruden is very much on that feeling of really evaluating players. And uh, if they don't perform this year, I think if they don't make the playoffs, if they don't at least have... An 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, nine and seven season. I think Derek Carr could very easily find himself being traded because he's going to be on the books for one more year, but if they trade him, they could get a lot of assets for somebody trying to take a flyer on him. I mean, I think there's many teams in this league that would say, hey, Derek Carr is a better quarterback than we have on hand. For example, Tennessee.
1: And so that's what talking about before the show I had made a remark that yes uh if Derek Carr's season's not going very well all of a sudden he's googling uh what Tennessee weather is like in November
0: yeah and but I think there's several teams I mean I know that Jacksonville just paid Nick Foles a bunch of money but were that to not have happened I think Jacksonville would have been a destination um i there's just several spots where um could tampa bay be a destination tampa bay could very very likely be a destination there Mm -hmm. um uh, washington just got themselves a quarterback um i know there's a little bit of some contract dispute in dallas of whether dak prescott's gonna be a hundred million dollar quarterback maybe they don't come to a equitable decision. And instead, Jerry Jones decides that, you know what, I've committed a lot of money elsewhere. It's time to get somebody else. And Derek Carr, I think, is playing for his job in Oakland. John Gruden has surrounded him. John Gruden and Mike Mayock have brought in Antonio Brown. They've brought in Tyrell Williams. They've brought in Josh Jacobs. They, and not only that, but the offensive line, I mean, how many first-round picks have they have they spent now?
1: As well as off-season money,
0: bringing Trent, Trent, Brown. Trent Brown as well. Yeah. I mean, three of the five offensive linemen have either come in first-round picks or in free-agent acquisitions. So this is very much a team that has to perform now; otherwise, Derek Carr is going to be that scapegoat. Yeah. So, and this is also a team. Remember, they have two first-round picks for next year thanks to the Khalil Mack trade. So very easily, if Carr doesn't work out, they could package those picks together along with Carr and move up to the first pick in the draft. Uh, almost guaranteed. I mean, if you're sitting there with Miami and they bottom out with Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen, are you really not going to take that phone call and say, uh, yeah, we'll take Derek Carr in your first two round, your first two two-round first picks for uh, our number one overall. And now Oakland is sitting with this team that looks stacked and the number one overall pick to grab, you know, Tua Tagovailola or Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm, uh, Justin Herbert, whoever that number one quarterback is going to be next year. That's what I think. I think Derek Carr is facing the most pressure because he's playing for his job and not for his legacy like Phillip Rivers.
1: Yeah, that's a very, very good point in that those two first round picks are going to be quite the commodity with so many quarterbacks, not only just good quarterbacks, but potentially elite college quarterbacks being available next year.
0: Absolutely. I think uh, uh, next year could easily be a year like it was last year when we had five quarterbacks taken in the first round. I think there's going to be four taken next year. At least, at least three, at least three, but in that three to five range. Um, cause I expect there, there could be a dark horse that comes in that people aren't expecting. Mm. Uh, but that's also saying that a couple of these guys are going to come out in their junior year. So, uh, right. you know, some guys stay a little bit longer. Another one, um, is the quarterback used to play for, uh, uh, it's escaping my memory, uh, Clemson, but now he's in Missouri. Um, Mm. Kelly something. Ah, his name is just escaping me, but Kelly he, something. he, he won a title for him in, in Clemson. Yeah. And then he lost his job and, and now he's going to be the starting quarterback for uh, the Missouri Mizzou. Tigers. So um, he's another one that he's definitely a senior this year. I think he's going to come out and um, do pretty well, likely be considered for starting job. So um, we were going to be putting this up on the Twitter verse Uh, so that you can vote on it, of which quarterback for the AFC West do you think is under the most pressure this year? Um, Please let us know what you think on that. Uh, Be voting on it. Um, Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant. I knew it was Kelly something. That's what it is. Yep. All
1: right. So Twitterverse top quarterbacks for pressure, Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant.
0: Well, yeah, we got to throw Kelly Bryan in there somehow. Maybe we'll, in a few months, we'll do a a Twitter poll on uh, who's going to be the highest drafted quarterback for next uh, season in the draft. Tank,
1: for Tua, that being said, if you're Miami, you have this New England Patriot system, do you really want Tua?
0: I don't think so i mean i don't think he really i don't think him or jalen hurts actually fit
1: yeah
0: um they're much more of a pocket passer kind of uh way but you know what we're completely throwing out that uh josh rosen is sure gonna be a nobody i think he still has an opportunity to turn into something so
1: yeah if josh rosen comes out wins Some games. I don't even know how many games it would take for him to hold on to his job.
0: Two, probably. (laughs) Two. Yeah. yeah. You win three games, you get your job. Yeah. You win four games, we're putting you in the ring of honor. (laughs)
1: But they have Fitzpatrick, so you know Fitzpatrick's winning them four games if he's the starter.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's going to be one of those guys that wins just enough games so that they miss out on the number one overall. Mm. But he's definitely going to be probably four or five games away from actually being in playoff contention
1: yeah all right so that does it for us you're at third and manageable i'm shem hanks i'm still brad roberts and we will be coming at you next week so be listening see ya bye this has been a production of values first